0: Well, friends, our word for the day is reversal, okay, reversal, or as the dictionary describes it, a noun meaning to change to an opposite direction or course of action, a radical change in position, circumstance, or situation, a radical change, reversal. Got some things in your life you wouldn't mind a reversal in? Got some circumstances, got some situations that you wouldn't mind a a radical change in. It turns out that we all do. Uh, That's what today's passage is all about. Isaiah 61, it is all about reversal. Or really, it's all about a very, very, very big reversal. Let me point out three things in the passage which highlight just how big a reversal is on view in these few verses. Firstly, just the words and the images that are used. The language of reversal is everywhere in those verses that uh, that Jan just read to us. Perhaps you noticed that it was being read. Verse one speaks of the broken of broken hearts being repaired, captives being freed, prisoners being released. Verse 2 speaks of comfort for those who mourn. Verse 3 speaks of beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. Verse 4 speaks of the renewal of ruined cities. Now in the context of Isaiah's original audience, this one would have been especially comforting because at the time that Isaiah said these words, Israel were facing a lot of their cities being destroyed by foreign invaders. Verse 5 goes on to speak of foreign nations serving Israel rather than Israel serving them. And again, for Israel at the time, this would have been a wonderful reversal of what was actually happening as they had to serve more powerful nations than they were. And so just from the word choice here, a very radical change in circumstance, position, situation is on view. Secondly... The second thing which highlights just how big a reversal is happening within these verses is that reference in verse 2 to the year of the Lord's favour. Now the wording of that phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, it's almost certainly a reference to what is called the year of jubilee as described in the book of Leviticus. The year of jubilee was a year commanded... For Israel to have in the Old Testament law, and it was one year in every 50 that was effectively to be a year of release, a year of extraordinary reversal. The year of Jubilee was a year in which every debt was cancelled. The year of Jubilee was a year in which every slave was to be freed. The year of Jubilee was to be a year in which people who had been forced to sell their family property because of poverty, it was a year in which they received their property back. It was a year to wipe clean every bill, every outstanding payment, every overdue obligation, every overdrawn tab gone. Can you imagine that? You've gone bankrupt, lost your job. Had to sell your home. Year of Jubilee, the home is given back to you and your family. The car loan you've had to take out. The home loan. The MasterCard account. Year of Jubilee, white clean. It was a year of release. A year of extraordinary grace. Almost scary levels of grace. Perhaps for that reason there is no record of Israel ever celebrating the year of Jubilee in its history. And here it is. It is dropped into Isaiah 61 so as to emphasise even further the scale of the change that is described in this passage. The language of reversal, reference to a Jubilee of reversal, and thirdly, The context of today's passage also highlights how big a change is on view. Because when you step back and take in the view of the surrounding chapters that are on either side of this passage, today's passage almost sits as a hinge around which this massive change happens. So, for example, in the chapters leading up to today's passage, They are actually all about the wickedness of Israel. On the screen, here's a sample from one of these chapters, chapters 59. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they don't know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into wicked roads. No one who walks in them will know peace. And then down in verse 12 of the same chapter, for our offences are many in your sight and your sins, and our sins testify against us. It's all gloomy stuff especially after what we've been seeing the last few weeks in Isaiah. I mean, last Sunday in chapter 56, it was all about God's salvation being close at hand and Israel doing what is right and maintaining justice. And, but this week, Israel, uh, uh, Isaiah suddenly brings us back to earth in these chapters with a thud as he points out that that is so not what Israel are doing. Their offences are many, their sins testify against them. And the chapters leading up to our reading today is, uh, is full of references like that. But once you hit chapter 60 and today's reading in 61, there is a complete change in the way God talks about Israel. Look, for example, at this passage on the other side of today's reading. In chapter 62, the nations will see your righteousness. And all kings your glory you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand a royal diadem in the hand of our God and verse 12 in this in the same chapter they will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted For do you see what's happening across this bigger section of chapters 57 to 64. It transitions from a sinful people at the beginning to a holy people, a redeemed people at the end. It moves from an offensive people to a glorious people, people who are the crown of splendour in God's hand. And today's reading, chapter 61, pretty well stands right in the centre of it all. And it's a passage full of the language of reversal with reference to a year of reversal. And it's spanning the reversal from sinfulness to holiness. Today's passage is all about radical change. Enormous reversal of circumstance, position, situation. And in particular, from the opening verse, it is a passage in which... A voice calls out and a person steps forward to declare, I am the bringer of this reversal. Verse 1 of our reading again. The spirit of the, Lord, of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, who is the me? Who is the bringer of this reversal? The person is not named, because at this stage of the book, they shouldn't need to be. At this stage of the book, we should immediately recognise this person's voice. It is, of course, the servant. In what is his fifth and final appearance in the book? And because this is the final time the servant steps forward in the book, there's a level of closure to it. When the servant first appeared, way back in chapter 42, God presented him to us. Here is my servant, God said, in whom I delight, my chosen one in, uh, in whom I uphold. I will put my, ser- my spirit on him. That was when he first appeared. But now in his final appearance, there is again mention of the servant being chosen. That's what anointed mean. There's also mention of the spirit again being upon him like before. And so today's final appearance of the servant, it's got echoes of the first appearance with a very big difference. Something's changed now. God is not introducing him to us. The servant himself is declaring his presence. In fact, the last time the servant appeared, if you remember, chapter 53, he never uttered a word himself. He was as silent as a lamb because that's what he was, going to the slaughter. But now today the servant speaks up for himself. The servant is demanding our attention. It's almost as if something very profound has happened since the last time he appeared in the book. Not in an arrogant way, but now this servant has tremendous authority to him, which ought not to surprise us because, again, remember the last time he appeared, chapter 53, he substituted himself for his people. He was punished in the place of sinners. He was pierced for our transgressions. But as well as that, remember, as well as being rejected by men, what we also discovered the last time he appeared was that the servant was also exalted by God that because he sacrificed himself for the sake of his people, God said, therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will be raised. He will be lifted up. He will be highly exalted. And now here he is, raised, lifted up, highly exalted. And now his final appearance, having gone through the ordeal of pouring out his life until death in his previous appearance, it's as if he is now back as the exalted one. He is back as the great one the strong one, the one to whom kings will be dumbstruck by. And he's back to declare and deliver extraordinary reversal for his people, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, friends, for the original readers of Isaiah, for the Israelites, this would have been music to their ears. As we have already noticed a few times throughout this series in Isaiah, at the time of Isaiah, Israel were facing hard times. They were looking down the barrel of capture and exile at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. And it was all going to happen because of judgment for their rebellion. Their sin before God had left them with a massive debt of judgment that needed to be paid off. And so to hear about a coming reversal of that, to hear about sinful people being changed into holy people, to hear about ruined cities being rebuilt, to hear about captives being freed, and all being overseen by this majestic servant of the Lord who just reeks of authority. This would have been very good news indeed. Very good news. And in history, it's sort of partially happened. What happened in history was that Israel were punished by being conquered by the Babylonian Empire, as God said they would be for their sins. But then after that, in a quite miraculous reversal of fortune, the Persians conquered the Babylonians and they, surprisingly, just let all the Jews go home from Babylon to the Promised Land, which was terrific. Was this the great reversal that Israel was, that Isaiah is describing here? Hopes were high, but they were quickly dashed. What happened was, the, was that the Israelites dribbled back into the promised land in fits and starts. Some choose, chose not to even bother going back to the promised land because when they did get back there, everything was a mess. Their homes and their cities were just rubbled and the rebuilding of their cities, which this passage is all about, it it, it didn't go well. And when they did get home, they still didn't own their own land anymore. Uh, they were still under Persian rule, and then they were under Greek rule, and then they were under Roman room, rule. And no one seemed to step forward to be this sort of self-evident, wonderful servant from Isaiah. And it, there was a bit of a reversal, but it just didn't add up to all the hype that a passage like today's had. And so for hundreds of years, Israel must have just been left wondering about a passage like this. They must have been left daydreaming about when this time of reversal would fully come. No doubt they probably spent many an hour discussing who is the speaker of this passage, who is the bringer of this reversal, who is the servant, who's it going to turn out to be. And hundreds of years after today's passage was written, after hundreds of years of built-up anticipation in Israel, the fulfilment of this passage finally happened when a man named Jesus of Nazareth walked into the synagogue of his hometown. And Luke in chapter 4 tells us That the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written. In other words, Jesus deliberately, self consciously took the time to pick out a particular place in the scroll of Isaiah. So, can you imagine maybe a hushed silence as people waited for Jesus to unroll the scroll and find the spot that he was looking for? This was before there were chapters and verses. And Isaiah is a big book, so it might have taken a little time for Jesus to find the right spot. So can you perhaps imagine people starting to whisper amongst themselves, I wonder what bit of the Bible he's looking for. I wonder what are the verses that he's so keen to read out to us. And he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you think you could have heard a pin drop in that synagogue? As Jesus announces himself to be the servant, he is the one to bring in the year of jubilee. He is here to bring in massive reversal, free captives, release the oppressed, transform sinners into a holy people who are a crown in God's hand. Friends, I don't know about you, but as the years gone on and we've spent more and more time in Isaiah, I think one of the really tremendous things about it is that it has given us an insight into the way Jesus himself saw himself. We have seen an insight into Jesus' thought processes and why he did things the way he did things. I reckon more than any other Old Testament book, possibly with the exception of Psalms, but... Isaiah is the one that Jesus seems to have in his head self-consciously going about fulfilling it. And I'll tell you what, by choosing to read from that passage in the very first thing he does in his public ministry in that synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus could not have started his ministry with a grand acclaim. I am here to bring in God's great reversal. I am here to bring in the day Of God's grace. (laughs) Man, no wonder people flocked to him. No doubt lots of people thought that he was here to release them from Roman oppression. Uh, They thought that was the captivity he had in mind to release them from. Jesus, of course, knew his Bible a lot better than that. Jesus knew that as he was the servant of Isaiah, the primary debt he came to cancel was our debt of sin. That we are oppressed and we are held captive by all the stuff we've done wrong. But as the servant of Isaiah, he would bring in the, the era of God's favour by substituting himself for his people. Dying in their place. Being pierced for their transgressions. And so Jesus went to the cross to do that. All so as to fulfil God's plan of reversal. So as to fulfill all of God's plans really. And I guess it's at this point that we're back at a lesson that we have seen repeatedly come up in the book of Isaiah. We are back at the same point of seeing the central role of the Lord's servant this person who appears within the book of Isaiah and his central role to everything that Isaiah tells us in his book, that it's the servant who turns out to be Jesus Christ. It's the servant who substitutes himself for us in our place so as to be punished so that we might be free. It's the servant who makes it possible for repentant people to be washed as white as snow. It's the servant who enables salvation to go out to the ends of the earth so that anyone and everyone who wants to can now join God's people. And it is the servant now in his final appearance who ushers in an era of extraordinary reversal, extravagant grace, It's an era that will culminate in a flawless new world which we'll hear more about next week when we finally reach the end of the book of Isaiah. But this week, in our penultimate section of Isaiah, it is the centrality of the servant, Jesus Christ, again, that we cannot miss. As once again, the Lord's servant steps forward into the spotlight, takes centre stage and says, I am here to fulfill everything. He is the heart of all God's plans. And I think that's a lesson that has been repeatedly made in Isaiah, because it's a lesson we need to be repeatedly reminded of. See, I'm not a sailor nor the son of a sailor, but uh, people like Mal Baggett, who has been, tells me that in the open sea, it's really important to keep checking your bearings. You know, that because things like ocean currents and prevailing winds and storms, they, they can just knock you off course. And some of those things, things like undercurrents, things like a shift in the wind, sometimes you don't even know that they've happened. So you can be cruising happily along without a care, but you've actually slowly been drifting off course. It's important to keep checking your bearings. And I think Isaiah keeps reminding us of the servant so as we can check our bearings. Because how is your life going? How's the year been? Time and time again we've seen in Isaiah that as far as God's concerned, life is all about the servant. Life is all about Jesus Christ. And therefore, if we are at all interested in living our life in the same direction as God's, our lives needs to be centred on Jesus as well. So how have you been going about that? Have you been checking your bearings as the year's gone on? As the year's gone on, what, what are the things that now currently fill your week? You know, As the year's gone on, what are now the things that you are giving your best efforts to each week? What are the things that are filling the to-do lists on your fridge? As you walk through your house and think about what you've been spending your money on this year, Are you living in the same direction as God's? Or do you need to check your bearings a bit? Friends, one of the most crystal clear repeated lessons we have discovered from Isaiah throughout the year, it is the lesson that from God's perspective, Jesus is where all the action is. The Lord's servant is the very nucleus of what this life is all about. He is at the centre of where this life is heading. He is at the heart of God's plans. And if we want to be living in the same direction as God, he needs to be at the heart of our plans as well. You need to check your bearings. I'll pray. Father, thank you for this continuing reminder of the importance of your servant, your son, our saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, we'd like to ask that we'd have um, the courage, if need be, to change our lives just at the moment uh, so that we might not drift away and that we might keep Jesus central in the things that we do. Father, thank you for the extraordinary reversal Thank you for the wonderful grace, the the removal of our debt of sin because of your servant. Father, thank you for Jesus that he was pierced for our transgressions and we pray that we might live the sort of life that would be centred on him and that would bring honour to him. Amen.